Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio as we try to help you slow things down just a little bit, divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and make the news make sense today. And we're going to cover a little bit of everything today. We'll look back a little bit in terms of some of the things that took place in the inauguration yesterday. Uh, but more importantly, we're looking at day one of the Biden administration. What does it mean? Uh, what does it mean to us here in the state of Utah? And uh, we'll, we'll look at some applications of that. Of course, there were some stunning moments uh, in the course of the inauguration. Uh, we'll we'll explore some of those, what they mean and what they possibly could mean in terms of the future of the country. And, and then looking at uh, some of the uh, people who may feel displaced in terms of politics and where do they actually fit where do they actually go is there is there a third way possibility uh, third parties uh, do not have a great history in the country it's been a, a two-party country for a long time and uh, is there space uh, on the center left or center right uh, for something that would be a little different from what uh, either side has been serving up for the last few decades so we're going to explore all of that on the show today and as always we want you to help us elevate the conversation you can do that on the utah community Credit Union KSL text line at 57500. So a number of things took place yesterday uh, before uh, anything had uh, really been completed. The uh, president, uh, Joe Biden, went into the Oval Office and began signing a series of executive orders <clears throat> and uh, pretty rapid succession there. 17 executive orders uh, signed yesterday, and I think there have been three more already today. We'll talk about those, what they mean, uh, how they all break down uh, as we go through the program. And uh, it's an area that, uh, if you follow me at all, you know that I have a, a real problem with executive orders. Uh, they have their place. They have their purpose. Uh, it is supposed to be small, narrowly defined, and only when absolutely necessary. And <clears throat> sadly, that is uh, that is not where we are anymore when it comes to executive orders. Uh, Democrats and Republicans alike have uh, made this a ruling option of choice, uh, and it just creates a lot of uncertainty uh, where it's supposed to be uh, creating confidence uh, and a direction. And it just is an including impact right here in the state of Utah. Uh, so let's get at it. Let's get to uh, what took place as uh, the festivities got done in the morning. There was a, a brief lull in the action, which was uh, 
the the president's time uh, to actually uh, do some signing. And uh, we've got some sound there, but I think we've got some technical things. Um, uh, we'll come back. Okay. Uh, so let's go to uh, the first uh, White House uh, press conference held yesterday. Jen Psaki, of course, took to the podium there in the briefing room. Uh, similar to what happened on uh, President Trump's first day, they immediately had a press conference and uh, a press briefing, I should say. And, uh, and that's a good thing. I think in terms of uh, clarity and accountability, transparency, that's uh, that's always a good thing. And uh, I will say that uh, uh, that Jen Psaki did uh, did get a little bit of a honeymoon first first press conference there. Uh, not a lot of hard questions, not a lot of tough follow up questions. And I suspect uh, that won't last too long. Uh, I think the reporters in the room will uh, will start to ask the harder questions as governing. Governing is a hard thing. Campaigning's pretty easy. Uh, governing's tough. And so I think uh, the questions will get a little sharper. The uh, follow-up questions will become a little clearer. Uh, but I thought she did a good job in terms of handling herself in the room. She clearly owned the room uh, and uh, did a nice job there. But she went down this path of uh, President Joe Biden's Inauguration Day executive orders. Uh, and so uh, let's start with a little bit from uh, Jen Psaki reviewing the executive orders and kind of why they were going at what they were attacking. To combat the deadly virus, the president launched his 100-day masking challenge, asking Americans to do their part and mask up for 100 days. He's doing his part as well, issuing a mask mandate that will require anyone visiting a federal building or federal land or using certain modes of public transportation to wear a mask. He signed an executive order reversing Trump's decision to withdraw from the World Health Organization. This will strengthen our own efforts to get the pandemic under control by improving global health. President Biden also uh, officially appointed a COVID-19 response coordinator, a position and team we had already previously announced, but made it official today to create a unified national response to the pandemic. And he reestablished the national security team responsible for global health, security and biodefense. All right, so that's uh, Jen Psaki and her uh, first trip to the podium there in the press briefing room in the White House. And she did lay out uh, a number of things there, a 100-day mask challenge, mask mandate, uh, that masks must be worn uh, in federal buildings on federal land or federal property, uh, and that uh, people who were uh, using different modes of transportation, interstate, uh, would also be required to wear a mask. So that's kind of where they began in terms of the executive order, uh, also heard that uh, they went uh, and stated that the U.S. would rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, that is one of their priorities as well. Uh, let's go to a little bit more from Jen Psaki as she was reviewing some of those executive orders, particularly those uh, related to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has triggered an almost unprecedented housing affordability crisis. He took immediate action to confront the crisis and asked relevant agencies to extend nationwide moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures. The pandemic has also increased the hardship on millions of Americans who owe federal student loans. In response, the president asked the Department of Education to extend the pause on student loan payments and interest. All right. Uh, again, that's uh, Jen Psaki there uh, going through some of the uh, housing, suspending some of those uh, things as it was, is related to previous orders uh, around that. We've uh, talked about the Paris, Paris Climate Agreement, putting the U.S. back in there. Uh, I want to jump down now uh, to 
uh, some of the things that she did that the president did around immigration, racism, uh, and a host of things uh, in that category, including uh, some travel previous travel res- restrictions from the Trump administration, uh, because these were also uh, pretty large and pretty sweeping. He also launched a whole-of-government effort to advance racial equity and root out systemic racism from federal programs and institutions. He directed the Secretary of Homeland Security in consultation with the Attorney General to take all appropriate actions to preserve and fortify DACA, which provides temporary relief from deportation to DREAMers, young people who are brought to this country as children. The President also put an end to the Muslim ban, of policy rooted in religious animus and xenophobia. He signed a proclamation effective immediately, halting further funding or construction of the previous administration's border wall and terminating the so-called national emergency used to wastefully divert billions for wall construction. Okay, so in looking at all of these different executive orders, and we've just scratched the surface. Remember, there were 17 yesterday, three more signed in today. And in all of those... Uh, they kept coming back to this uh, idea of much of what is being done is temporary. Uh, As it related to uh, the DACA program, immigration, uh, it's a temporary reprieve from deportation. It doesn't create a real uh, certainty or a certain confident path uh, for those uh, DACA recipients to to actually move forward on. Uh, And this is the great problem with executive orders. And we're going to come back to this in our next segment and really drill down and and help us all understand why this is not how governing is supposed to be done. We have to remember that what is done by executive order will be likely undone by executive order. And we're going to talk about that. And specifically, we're going to talk about how that impacts the state of Utah, particularly with our public lands. Uh, We have become a political football Uh, for Democrats and Republicans to kick back and forth between administrations instead of an administration going through the right process, the right way to get a certain result so that our counties, so that our tribal members, uh, so that everybody can plan and develop and use in a way that's going to be consistent for a long period of time. Uh, Changing from one administration to the next Uh, does not create certainty. It is a horrible way to govern, uh, and it creates all kinds of problems because most things that get done by executive order end up in the courts, uh, which is a whole other topic for a whole other day. But we're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. As I said, when we come back, we're going to break down why we see so many executive orders and how that is becoming the tool of choice for presidents of the United States. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. 
That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, and we're going to continue our conversation on executive orders. It was really the uh, phrase of the day yesterday as President Biden uh, plowed through 17 different executive orders, ranging from uh, border wall funding to uh, immigration to uh, Paris Climate Accord. Uh, travel bans, and a, and a host of other things. And he, he clearly rode into town on Wednesday uh, with the executive order pen revved up and ready to go. Uh, they were all uh, stacked on his desk waiting for him when he entered the Oval Office for the first time. And he was quick to use that pen and sign those executive orders. And incoming presidents, uh, especially the the last several, uh, both sides of the aisle have made use of executive orders in a way to act swiftly on their agenda uh, or to reverse the policies of the previous administration. Uh, we saw President Trump do that to many of the things that were enacted under the Obama administration, and the Biden administration uh, followed suit and, and did the same. Uh, as I said before the break, what is wrought by executive order is usually erased by the same. And presidents can issue such orders. Uh, but again, to me, it's one of those powers that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Uh, Ron Klain, the newly minted chief of staff, uh, actually gave his administration, the senior staff, uh, a, a good heads up in a memo that uh, they were going to go down this path to rescind travel bans, Paris Climate Accord, uh, extend the limits on student loan payments and evictions, um, uh, all, the mask mandate on federal properties, interstate travel and so on. Uh, and so if we look at it as a whole, again, presidents from both political parties have been increasingly govern, uh, been governing by enacting their major initiatives and priorities through executive orders. Uh, this is not the way it's supposed to be in our country. Uh, we're not, we don't have kings. Uh, we have presidents for a reason and because there's a process. The, the separate and distinct powers that are provided to each of the three branches of government, detailed in the Constitution, of course, uh, have been so twisted, so torqued, uh, the power has been abdicated by Congress to the executive branch. The executive branch has amassed a lot of it. Uh, they've undermined and absconded and they've overreached. Uh, it's just been accelerating over the last several decades. And I think what we're starting to see now is when issuing executive orders, uh, presidents have, I think they, they now have to memorize uh, this phrase. It, it goes something like this. Uh, Congress has once again failed to do its job. So I'm signing an emergency executive order to deal with fill-in-the-blank crisis. Uh, it's often followed by an admission. This is the part that really gets me because they've all done it. They readily admit that they expect that their opponents will soon follow, file a lawsuit on their executive order, which will then begin to wend its way through the court's usually ending up at the Supreme Court of the United States. That's not governing. Uh, it's just cre creating problems. And, and the pattern, uh, it's not unique to, as I said, any one political party or president. Uh, it's just become what is acceptable in, in our nation's capital. Uh, as many of you know, I've been critical of Congress for many years now, 
uh, the, because they keep abdicating their authority to the executive branch. And the executive branch is all too happy to take that. And and so then the Congress will pass, you know, really nicely named things that are very general. And then presidents take the power and, and do what they want. And that happens not just with the president, but it's the entire executive branch. The, the regulatory regime is alive and well. And often that ends up hurting people, small businesses, counties, communities the most. So when they do that, and they do it knowing that it's going to take a decade or at least several years for a complaint to be filed and turned into a lawsuit and then worked its way through the courts uh, until it's finally done. So, So here's some examples. Uh, During the Obama administration, the United States Supreme Court regularly served as a check to those executive orders. Uh, Really interesting. Unanimous rulings from the Supreme Court are noteworthy, uh, especially in today's political environment. So when you get a 9-0 to vote on the United States Supreme Court, that says something. Uh, During the Obama administration, there were 20 times, 20 times, the Supreme Court voted to strike down one of President Obama's executive orders that were overreaching. Uh, The courts did the same thing during the Trump administration. Uh, They set a record number of very stiff and very stinging rebukes uh, that created the the worst win rate by a president in front of the Supreme Court in our country's history. So neither the Obama administration nor the Trump administration has a great record in terms of this overreach by using executive order. It just takes years to get through the process and for the Supreme Court to finally say, no, you really can't do that. And that's that's part of the problem. And the worst part of it all is that the executive orders, as I said earlier, create uncertainty for the very people they're supposed to be helping. Uh, we saw that with immigration. Uh, President Obama created hope for some young people trapped in a very broken immigration system that needs to be fixed, that Congress needs to fix. It's their job. Uh, That hope, of course, turned to uncertainty when President Trump reversed course uh, with his own executive order. Now President Biden is going to begin anew with a new executive order. Uh, We've also seen this uncertainty swing back and forth right here in the state of Utah. Uh, As Ricky Meese mentioned during the break, uh, looking at the size of federal land and national monuments. We went from just enormous declarations by President Clinton on the Grand Staircase Escalante and President Obama on the Bears Ears. Uh, President Trump came in and reduced those in a significant way. Uh, And the swings that this does to the local communities and the local residents uh, is unfair to them. Uh, And so it's this back and forth. This uh, really prevents us from, from moving it forward. And so we really have to get to a place where we can, with confidence, have Congress do their job. Congress has to step up uh, and do their job while the president needs to engage, the president needs to lead, and presidents need to resist unilateral action. They can't just go to the default, well, I tried working with Congress, and now I'm just going to do an executive order. Uh, Those things just never stick. And so I think we've got to frame things a little bit differently. And as citizens, we've got to expect different results, that it's not okay just to go to the executive order pen. 
whenever there's a, a disagreement. We need to have those conversations in front of the American people, not behind closed doors. Uh, and then we can move everything forward. Uh, and I'll, I'll say it again. What is wrought by executive order is likely to be erased by an executive order. So if you really want to build a legacy for yourself in the Oval Office, uh, you should govern. Uh, good governance, I think, is a great goal for a new Congress that's just been sworn in and a new president and a new administration that has just been sworn in. And I think if we can get to those kinds of conversations and those kinds of decisions, uh, we can have much better governing. And uh, we'll see how that plays out. We're going to watch very closely the uh, Utah delegation uh, all signed on to a statement yesterday uh, saying uh, that they they want the Biden administration, uh, who is going to look at the, the Bears' ears and the Grand Staircase, and uh, is inviting the Biden administration to do that in conjunction with the state legislature and local officials uh, to go through the process in the right way. Because if we can do that, then I think we can get to a result that will stand and will give certainty to the people who actually live there and to the state as well. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour break. When we come back, uh, sometimes you just need a little inspiration, and we're going to find it. Find out what it is next. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 